here in our own hometown. There you go. Would you please take your Bible and let's turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be at the end of that chapter this morning, verses 21 to 25. Matthew chapter 1, 21 to 25. We're going to talk a little bit about the things going on with Joseph when it came to the birth of the Christ child. I want to begin by saying that if you don't believe in miracles, if you don't believe that the supernatural can happen, then you're going to have a hard time with the story of Jesus Christ and the account of his birth and everything that went along with that. As a matter of fact, uh, I don't want you to hear me wrong, and I'll make sure I correct this later on if it, if it is heard wrong. Christianity demands, it is imperative that you believe in miracles and the reality of the supernatural, I mean amazing miracles, if you're going to be a Christian. Now, I didn't say that believing in miracles makes you a Christian. I did say that if you don't believe miracles can happen, you can't believe this account, and it's going to mean some bad things for you because you're not going to accept what God did. You're not going to accept the reality of, of miracles. A miracle, by way of definition, is an event that is not able to be explained in natural things that happen on this earth or something that defies scientific laws, and it can only be explained by a power outside of nature, outside of the universe, outside of what normally can happen in our universe. It must be seen as a work of God, and it has to be taken that way, a work that men can't do, and that's the point. A miracle defies explanation in the laboratories around the world. A miracle is more than a scientific experimentation. It is something that no scientist can reproduce in a test tube or in a lab. It cannot be reproduced at all by anybody in mankind. No human has ever created life out of absolutely nothing. Those who work in the laboratories always start with something. They never start with nothing. And then they say they produce something. Well, they just used that which was there before. They didn't come up with anything brand new on their own that didn't exist before. Well, what do Christians believe? We believe that a virgin, somebody sexually inexperienced in every way, got pregnant without any human intervention, without any human involvement, or intrusion from any other human being. We believe that the Holy Spirit of God supernaturally impregnated a virgin. We believe that the seed of the Spirit implanted a human egg and that that seed was divine. We believe that this event was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah 700 years before the event actually took place. We believe that an angel of God told the man to go ahead and marry this young girl, uh, even though he was having trouble with the fact that, hey, I know I haven't been with her, and yet she's pregnant, and there's only one way I know of that can happen, and yet God said, no, there is, there is one other way, and it happened one other time, and that's all. So we believe that God sent an angel to Joseph, just a human being, a young man, and uh, he was to name that boy what God told him to name him, and his name would be Yeshua. And Yeshua would be the Messiah. And we pronounce his name Jesus. We believe that this man, talk about uh, miracles, we believe that this man 
who was betrothed to marry this woman, went ahead and married her, and yet he kept her a virgin until after Jesus was born. Kept her a virgin until after Jesus was born. That's just the tip of the iceberg as far as our God and miracles go. But I don't believe one can be a Christian if he or she does not believe that God can do miracles. And the world has all kinds of ways to deny God, and we can't be one of those people taking one of those ways. So if you have your Bible, let's look at some more miracles in Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses uh, 21 to 25 this morning. Uh, I didn't realize I was going to be right here uh, in Matthew at this time when I wrote this because it was long ago. And I got to thinking about that. I have a special sermon just for Christmas next week, and I could just as well use this, but I'm going to go ahead and do the other one next week. Hopefully some of your family and friends will be visiting, and, and we can tell them about Jesus if they don't know. Well, it says in verse 21, An angel came to Joseph and is talking to Joseph, uh, the soon-to-be husband of Mary, and he says this, She, so he's referring to Mary, she will bear a son. And you will call his name Jesus, or Yeshua. For, and that tells us the reason or purpose for the name, he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And if you look in your margin and you have a good study Bible, I'll tell you the prophet that he's talking about is the prophet Isaiah. And he says in verse 23, quoting from the Old Testament, some 700 years before Jesus, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now, that's a quote out of the Old Testament about Jesus. It was also about somebody else. And we're going to talk about how the New Testament uses the Old Testament just briefly about the truth of Jesus Christ, and yet it is also the truth about another boy, and uh, one of my favorite names in the whole Bible is this boy's name, and I'll tell you what that is when we get there. Verse 24, And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. I want you to notice, we're going to talk about this too, that he awoke, and he did what the angel said to him. doesn't say anything about he awoke, and he decided, well, let me ponder this over a cup of coffee, maybe some bacon and eggs, and uh, then I'll think about what I'm going to do. He woke up, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Just tell him what to do, and he'll do it. And he took Mary as his wife. But, verse 25, he kept her a virgin until she had given birth to a son. And he, that is Joseph, because the angel told him to do this, he called his name Jesus, Yeshua. I want to go back with you and I'm going to look at some of the particulars of this. We're going to talk about, as Brad mentioned, the character of a man like Joseph. Uh, we also know that we have no idea how long Jesus uh, had a father named Joseph. We know it was at least till after age 12 because Joseph and Mary were both involved in looking for him because he stayed at the temple when everybody else went home and they couldn't find him, so they went back. So we know he was there then. But after that, we don't know when Joseph left the scene. Somewhere in there, he died. Somewhere in there, he quit being the physical father of Jesus Christ. And we don't know why. We don't know why God did that, why he kept Mary and not Joseph. But that was God's plan. So we get a look into the heart of this man this morning. We're going to remember what kind of a dad, what kind of a father Jesus had, humanly speaking. 
So looking at verse 21, I want us to know this, that it was God who named his son according to what he would accomplish for humanity. It was God who would name his son according to what he would accomplish uh, for humanity. Now I think that's important because it is the human father's job to name a boy in those days. And Joseph does say, I'm going to name him what God told me to do, but it was God the Father who told him to do that. said, this child you're going to have, miraculously, I want you to name him Jesus, because he's going to save his people from his sins. So remembering what we learned last time, Joseph was approached by an angel of the Lord in a dream. Joseph had plans to put Mary away, Uh, to divorce her, we would say, in a very quiet fashion because he did not want to draw the community's attention to a big problem. In other words, I have a girlfriend who I'm betrothed to, and she's pregnant. Everybody's going to think, you know, we messed up. We're the ones that did that. And he wanted to put her away privately because he knew he had nothing to do with it, but there she was, and she'd become pregnant outside of marriage. And in the Jewish way of thinking of those things, she was pregnant in the betrothal period. It, it, for us, we don't really have anything exactly like that, but it's like your engagement period where you said, this is the person that I've chosen to live with the rest of my life. I've made a commitment to that person already. I put a ring on his or her finger, and we're going to get married. That's a covenant that you've entered into. But we're also saying as Christian people, we're not going to be immoral together. We're not going to have sex outside of marriage. We're not going to fornicate. And, and I'm going to keep her a virgin until the day we get married. Well, that's sort of what the betrothal period was. Joseph offered her his hand in marriage, and they drank from a communion cup, and they, they made a covenant with each other. And then they were supposed to be this way. Joseph would go live with his dad. Mary would stay with her parents. And through that whole time, they would never come together physically. And they would, they would present themselves on the day that Joseph's father said, today's the day, Joseph, I want you to go get her and bring her back to my house. And Joseph would have built another story on top of dad's house. And that's where he would plan to live with his new bride. Well... During that betrothal period, Mary shows up pregnant, and now it's a problem. And that's why Joseph decided, I I just can't do this. And he didn't want to disgrace her either. And so he said, I want to do it quietly. And I want you to know that I think his character was exemplary in all of this. Can you just imagine what this young man felt like? When he heard the news, or I guess, I don't know if she told him or he heard the news, but either way, the girl I'm betrothed to is pregnant. And, you know, they didn't know as much about science as we do, but they did know that that can only happen one way. And he knew in his heart of hearts, that wasn't me that did that. Some other man had to have done that. And what it would be like to think about that and to realize you'd been cheated on. And what do I do with that now? Well, he didn't know the whole story. And God straightened him out, and thank goodness he believed in the supernatural, and he believed in God. Well, unbelievably, it doesn't mention anything about the anger that he might have had or one of us would have had in that situation. It doesn't say anything about it. Just that he didn't want uh, to uh, take this girl and, and parade her around and say, look what she did. And because he was righteous in his character, he wanted to take care of her, even though everything in the world pointed to the fact, or what he thought was a fact, Uh, she's not been faithful. Good heavens, we're not even married yet, and she's been unfaithful. 
and yet he wanted to keep that as closely to himself as he could, and he chose uh, to let her go. Well, God sends an angel and says, don't let her go. Don't do that. Joseph, what's inside of her came about through the Holy Spirit of God. Now, no one's ever heard about that. No one ever knew about that happening. And it doesn't fit inside what Joseph already knows, but he accepted it and he believed it. And that's just like us. When God tells us something, we need to just say, okay, Lord, if that's what you're saying, I believe it and I'm going to do it. He was told to go ahead and take Mary as his wife. That's what the angel said God told him to say. And the child in her was of divine origin and intent. God did this on purpose. Now today we learn that the angel also said that the child will be a boy and that Joseph will name the child Jesus. So, you know, they didn't have pregnancy tests back then. They didn't be able to find out, you know, what that child was going to be. God said it's going to be a boy. Now, God had a 50-50 chance, but, you know, if we were guessing, we could guess that too. But God knew because God put the child there and because it was going to be a boy because God's in control. And we learned that the angel said the child would be a boy from God and that Joseph had already had the name picked out for him, and God the Father wants Joseph, the physical father, to name his son Jesus. And apparently Joseph believed in angels, and he believed that God could send a good angel to give him a message and tell him what he ought to do. And God did that, and he did what he was supposed to do. I think it's uh, almost amusing to me, it amazes me, that we have multitudes of good and evil angels around us all the time. I believe there's some of each in our sanctuary right now. Some are the good angels, the elect angels, and they are worshiping God along with us, and some of them are because some of us have given ground in our life to that enemy, and they have a right to be there. Now, we don't want them there, and we should get rid of them, but that's the reality of any group of people. But people today like to refuse to believe that there are any angelic beings. And if you can't believe in angels, if you can't believe a good angel could come and tell a human being, this is what God wants, then you're certainly not like Joseph, and you're going to miss sometimes what God is wanting to do. Name the boy Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form, so the Greek language form of the Hebrew language of, we, like, we would say Joshua, or we would say Jehoshua. It was really Yeshua, and Yeshua is the Messiah. So the Jews would say, Yeshua HaMashiach, and they're talking about Jesus, the Messiah, and Messiah is what the Greek text translates as Christ. So in Hebrew, Jesus' name was Joshua, or in Hebrew, Yeshua, and the Greek form is Jesus, uh, or Iesu, really, is, is how you would say it in Greek, Iesu. His name was purposely tied to the work that this little boy was going to do. So Joseph is having to struggle with all of this. God sends an angel and said, Mary's going to have a boy. I want you to marry her, and then I want you to name this child Jesus. And the reason I want you to name him Yeshua is because of what the word means, because he is going to save people from their sins. Now, this name is purposely tied to the work that Jesus would do. The name means Yahweh is salvation, or the Lord saves. Thus we say, Savior of the world. The text now tells us the reason why 
his name is to be Jesus. His name is Jesus because he will save the people. You know what? Let's turn to Psalm 130. The Psalms are absolutely full of predictions about Jesus Christ. Psalm 22 describes in detail Jesus being crucified on the cross, as does Psalm 53. Well, here's something else from Psalm 130 in verse 8. Speaking about the Christ child that is to come. And we know that the uh, translators of the New American believe it's uh, uh, God because they capitalize he. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities, from all Israel's iniquities. Only God can do that, and only Jesus, the God-man, can do that. At the end of the tribulation period, when Jesus comes riding back to earth to do away with all of his enemies, it says Israel will look and they will mourn over the fact that Jesus is who he said he is. He is the Son of God, and as they see him come down to earth, it's going to take a long time to do that. Multitudes of Jews are going to turn to faith in Jesus Christ, and he's going to save the nation of Israel. Well, that hasn't happened yet, but it will in the future. We know that Jesus was sent to the house of Israel, but we are also among the people for whom Jesus came. God always had in mind with Jesus the salvation of people like us. I'm talking about Gentiles, not Jewish people. He wants to save every man, woman, and child, no matter what their race, their color, their creed, their nationality. Jesus wants people out of every walk of life and every place. What is he going to save us from? The answer is that he's going to save us from eternal punishment that our sins have earned us. See, there's the problem. And let's, let's just put it in a nutshell. We inherited sin in our nature as a human being. We inherited sin from Adam. Every person is conceived in the womb of their mother a sinner. Every person is then an enemy of God. And we're born enemies of God. And we have to find a way to get our sins paid for. And then the Bible tells us, by the way, all your righteousness is like filthy rags. Your righteousness means nothing to me. And you have to wonder how many people down through time, when they stand before the judgment seat of God, and he asks them why he should let them into heaven, and their answer is, just look at my life, look at my record, I'm a good person. Let me tell you all the people I'm better than, and I did this good work and that good work, and I, and I made millions of dollars, and I left it to, you know, deserving universities and stuff like that, and I gave some to my church, and I did all that. That's why I should get into heaven, and God will laugh. <laughs> you didn't read the book. The book says all your righteousness is filthy rags. The book says that your works are not going to get you into heaven. It's faith in my son whom I sent to pay for your sins. And if you don't have that, you don't have anything. Get out of here. I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. God doesn't build a relationship by our good works with him. He builds a relationship by opening your eyes to the truth of the gospel and you finally realize, I need to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. And that's why he came. The word save here means to preserve from eternal death, which is what hell in the Bible is called. It is judgment forever and ever. This leads to a state of salvation when we're saved, a higher life, a different plane to live on. All of us are in critical need of this salvation because all of us are sinners without exception. Whoops, except one. And that was Jesus. 
How was Jesus born of a woman, and how did he escape the sin nature? How is it that Jesus was sinless? That's, that's a big question. We need to answer it. In verses 22 and 23, we learn that God has kept his ancient promise that he will dwell among his people miraculously. See, God has always wanted to walk with you. God has always wanted to wrap his arms around you and love you. He's always wanted you to notice him, to recognize him, and to be, become one of his children. That's what God has always wanted. And some of us have made that decision. But then we don't decide to obey him and walk with him. So he waits till we come around. He waits and maybe disciplines us until we decide, yeah, I need a relationship with him. I need to get back where I should have been when I left him because he's still there waiting. And so we, we do that, and it grieves his heart. But God wants a relationship with us. He proved that by when he created Adam and Eve, it says, in the cool of the day in the garden, not that it ever got scalding hot in the garden, but he would come and he would walk with Adam and Eve and fellowship with them. Why? Because that's why he created them. Why did he create you? For the same reason. He wants to walk with you and have fellowship with you. But he's not going to force himself on you. In verse 22, the Greek that starts that verse literally says this. Now this whole event happened. Now this whole event happened to fulfill what was spoken by Yahweh God through the prophet. Everything that is happening in this event in Joseph and Mary's lives Everything was predicted in writing by the prophets in the Old Testament. Here, Isaiah 7, 14, and also Isaiah 9, but I just wanted to give you a flavor of that. So I want to read Isaiah 7, 14. I could read a lot, but... Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, and in my, my older New American here, it says, A virgin. That's not what the Hebrew text says. It says, Behold... The virgin. Now, A is the anarthrist. The word the is the definite article. If I say, come in the sanctuary and sit in a pew, you can sit anywhere you want. If I say, come in the sanctuary and sit in the pew, you're looking for which one's the pew. All right? This is not, he's not talking about a virgin. He says the virgin. He has somebody in mind. And he says, behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name God with us. Emmanuel. Now, I want to talk about that briefly. There's a lot of difference of opinion about the connection between the passage in Isaiah and the one that Isaiah is being used to say by Matthew that this was about Jesus. Is it about two different people? Was it about anybody in Isaiah's day and about Jesus? Or was it just about Jesus? Or was it really not about Jesus? Matthew says it is. And whenever we run into that in the Old Testament where there is a fulfillment in the days of the people that heard Isaiah speak, or Jeremiah, or Amos, or anybody else. There's a reality to what they said there, and there is a reality later on. And so uh, one of the commentators put this all succinctly together for us, David Turner. Our options are, was it typological? Was it a type of Christ? So there was somebody else, but he was a type of Christ. Was it predictive, meaning only about Jesus? Or did it have multiple fulfillment? Did it have a fulfillment in the Old Testament and one in the New? So typological means would mean 
that Isaiah and the event that he talked about contains motifs about a future person, an anticipated Christ. If it's predictive, that means it was only about Jesus and had nothing to do with anybody in that Isaiah passage but Jesus. That's a problem because it goes on to talk about a person, a young man, a baby, that is in Isaiah's day that does certain things that is assigned to the king at that point. So it can't be just about Jesus. And then there's multiple fulfillment. I'm going to call that double fulfillment. And that's a partial fulfillment to Ahaz in his day, the King Ahaz, but also a climactic fulfillment in New Testament times in Mary and in Jesus. I prefer to call that double fulfillment where this event had significance to fulfill God's word to Ahaz because the son was born as a sign for Ahaz and his son, here we go with one of my favorite names in the Old Testament. I've tried to get some of you to name your kids this. You won't do it. Maher Shalah Hashbaj. <laughs> I've even tried his brother, Shir Deshu. Why doesn't, why doesn't somebody name their kid that? We could call him Maher or Shalah or Hash or Baz, Bazi. Nobody does it. His name means swift is the booty, speedy is the plunder, speedy is the spoil. That name meant a lot to Ahaz. <laughs> He's about to find that out in his own day. But it also is about Jesus, born of a virgin, who is a true virgin, a literal virgin. And her son triggers God's care for us in the name of the son and in the fact that he will be God with us. It's a baby boy. He's fully human. Where did he get that? From his mother Mary. It's a baby boy. Fully God. Where did he get that? Because his literal father isn't Joseph. It's the Spirit of God. That's why he's called not the son of Joseph in our circles, but the son of God. And by skipping Joseph, he bypassed imputed sin from Adam. Because apparently our sin is imputed to us through our fathers. You're welcome. But Jesus didn't have a physical father. And Jesus escaped the imputed sin of Adam. So he was sinless and was always sinless and still is sinless. The lesson here is also that God speaks the truth and he keeps his word exactly as he has said that he would do. Isaiah said a virgin will have a child and lo and behold a virgin had a child. We take the Bible literally. We expect it to be fulfilled literally because it always has been in those things that we've already seen. In verse 23, Mary, a sexually inexperienced young lady, will have a baby in her womb, and she will bear a son with a special position and mission in life. And by the way, God has a special mission for you, no matter who you are as a believer. It is that he is to keep... It is, that, I'm sorry, it is that this kept Jesus from inheriting original sin from Adam so that he is free to serve God without sin, without doubting, without anything that we normally live with. He is the one person with a divine nature and a human nature, uh, two natures in one person. He didn't have two souls. That's a heresy. He only had one soul. He's just one person, but he has two natures. Have to be careful about that. He is the God-man. And remember that all this is going to happen because God loved the world so much that that's why he sent his son. 
This God-man, this son of Joseph and Mary, will be known as God with us. So if you were ever in the presence of Jesus, and so many people caught on, and that's why as soon as they saw Jesus, they got on their knees, they worshipped him, and they bowed down to him. They are in the presence of God himself. And some people just couldn't see it. He is God with us. John 1.14 teaches that Jesus came out of heaven that he might dwell among us. And the word there is a word to put up a tent or to, to build a tabernacle, even if it was a, uh, not a permanent one. And it says he, he, he put his tent among us. He put up a tabernacle among us. He lived with us. He walked with us. He wants to be with us. And someday he's coming back to get you and me. Jesus became one of us so that he could be in a position to pay for our sins, yours and mine, and save us. He had not taken on human flesh. If he had not done that, he could not be our savior. And by the way, when he went to heaven, he didn't get rid of his human flesh. You will see him in his body. You will see him in his glorified body one day, and he'll have it forever and ever. He took our sin on him, and he put it, God put it in him so that he became sin, who knew no sin, for us. I want to turn to First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 22 and following, where Peter comments on this. He's saying of Jesus, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being verbally abused, he did not revile in return while suffering. He uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And by the way, this is going to be very important to see when we're in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus tells you to act the same way and tells me to act the same way. If somebody slaps you on one cheek, let them slap you on the other. If somebody reviles you, don't revile them back. And he goes on to say, and he himself bore, he himself in verse 24, carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, and he means the wounding unto death, you are healed, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. See, if you don't know Jesus, you're in the wrong pasture. If you don't know Jesus, you're following the wrong shepherd. If you don't know Jesus, you're lost, and you're not going to make it in, in eternity. You need to come home to the one who really will guard your soul. You need to come home to the one who is truly your shepherd, and he'll take care of you for eternity. This child of Mary is the savior of all people. He is literally God with us. And by the way, the supposed doctrine by, by a particular church of the perpetual virginity of Mary is a lie. It is not biblical. It's not true because if you look at Matthew 12, 46, she had other children by Joseph. She's not a perpetual virgin. She's not to be worshipped. She's not a God in and of her own right. And finally, in verses 24 to 25, Joseph obeyed God's plan, putting God's will ahead of his own reputation. I really want you to hear that. Here's just an ordinary guy doing a very extraordinary thing, asked to believe extraordinary miracles, and he's told what to do, and he does it. And that's the way we need to be. I also want to bring this up. His reputation is on the line in his community. 
if he obeys God, it's going to look bad because now everybody's going to say, oh, yeah, right, uh, Joseph is the father. That's why he hurried up and married her, and they're a bunch of fornicators and sinners, and why would we listen to them, and especially why would we listen to their, their son born of fornication when we are born the way we're supposed to be born? And he put his reputation behind the reputation of God. It is, however, incumbent on us to represent him the best way we can. And there may be times in life, okay, where your reputation may have to suffer a little bit so that God's reputation can go forward. And in verse 24, without any hesitation, he heard the command and he went out and did exactly what God told him to do. This meant that he took her before the betrothal period was over. It meant now that people would think that he and Mary were both at fault for her pregnancy you see, we do what is right no matter what, and we let God deal with whatever pieces fall out of that. Because in the end, my friend, God's the one who sorts out the pieces, and the truth will be known. Both of their reputations would suffer by the local gossip and slander, uh, the slander mill that exists everywhere where people gather. How many people are going to believe their story about how she got pregnant? And yet, Many people did. In the temple, Simeon did. In the temple, Anna did. And might I add, so do you. And so do millions of other people who believe that miracle took place. Verse 26, talk about a man willing to, to do the right thing. Joseph kept Mary a virgin until after she gave birth to Jesus, just so there's no question later on whose child it really is. There is no doubt in the Matthean text that Matthew expects us to understand that the Isaiah passage speaks about this young woman, without using her name, Mary, where Jesus is concerned, God was speaking about a future virgin. And as we expect, Joseph names him Jesus as he was commanded to do by God. Everything that has happened <clears throat> will happen because it is in the hands of God. Friend, nothing touches you that God didn't okay. Your response is up to you, though. Joseph responded the right way. Many others did not respond the right way. So let's take a look at the applications there in your bulletin if you're following along. Number one, the Bible is teaching that we are to obey Jesus even if it puts us at odds with our society. Now, I'm talking about obeying Jesus that way. There's other ways to be at odds with your society, but this one is about obeying Jesus and putting him first. Secondly, Jesus is able to save us from sin's awful penalty and its power. I would just assume, you know, there is no one else but Jesus through whom you can be saved. Jesus is the good shepherd. And the Bible says you can't get to God the Father unless you go through Jesus. If you're trying to get to heaven by being good and doing good works because some errant pastor told you that's how you get into heaven, you need to know that's a lie. That won't get you there. You can be the best person in the world, and God says, how dare you present your good works in, the, in light of what my son did for you and expect me to let you into heaven. I don't know you. I've never had a relationship with you, but God, I've been so good. 
filthy rags. Depart from me, I never knew you. And I can understand that there would be angels that take you and throw you into hell. And you might be screaming, but no one ever told me. Well, if you're here this morning, somebody told you. You don't get to heaven by good works. You get to heaven by trusting that you can't get there by good works. And Jesus will save you if you just say to him, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I can't do anything about my sin except ask for your forgiveness and believe that he does forgive you. And he sends his spirit to take up residence in you. And he gives you a new heart. See, without Jesus, you have a diseased heart. With Jesus and through faith, he changes your heart and gives you a new one. And he gives you eternal life. And he makes your spirit alive, which was dead in sin. Now it's alive. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, I trust today that I can't get there by my good works. I repent of my sins, and I'm believing that you are the Savior of my soul, and you have forgiven me through your death, burial, and resurrection. And today I accept that. And the angels in heaven rejoice because the book of life is opened and your name is written there forever and no one can take it away. And that's what salvation is. And Jesus is the only one who can save you from the penalty of the power of sin. And without faith in Jesus, sin's power will be eternal in your life. We don't want you to do that. Thirdly, we have to admit that we are infected with a terminal sickness of sin. We got that from the womb. And we must admit that we are sick before God spiritually, before we can be healed. If you don't ever admit that you have the problem of sin, then you're not going to want to get healed because there's nothing to be saved from. And I have run into people that say, no, I've never sinned. <laughs> Come on. You know, really? You just sinned by telling me you've never sinned. That's a lie. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no one that escaped that except Jesus. I wanted to end with the good news of Jesus Christ, and if you're listening, I just did. I just told you that if you're not sure you're going to go to heaven beyond a shadow of a doubt, if there's something lingering inside of you that says, I really don't know that, I've never heard that before, today you've heard, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, faith is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. <laughs> People do it every day. They brag in front of God about how good they were, and God says, I'll hear none of it. I gave you my son. He poured out his life for you to cleanse you of your sin. I just ask you, without cost, believe that, and I'll save you. And there's also people all day long standing for judgment in front of God. And he says, why should I let you in here? And they say, I have nothing good enough myself that I would want to get in here because I know I can't. But because I put my faith and trust in you that you took away my sins through faith in Christ, that's all I have to stand on. And I don't know what, I don't know what Jesus says, but he says something like, that's all you need. You did, what I, you did what I told you to do. You had faith. Now I'm going to close in prayer. If you've never made that decision, by the way, if you missed it, come to the program tonight, I'm going to say this again. All you have to do is, you're in your heart, you can just speak to Jesus right now and tell him, I've been trusting in the wrong thing. I didn't get it, but now I get it. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I believe your son's death paid for my sins on the cross. And could I be your, could I be your son? Could I be your daughter? And Jesus' answer to that is yes. 
And the Spirit of God will take up residence in you, and he will never leave. He is your seal unto salvation. So while I'm praying, you could tell him that. And then if you tell him that, I'd like to know. You don't have to tell me. But if you did that, I have a book that explains what we just talked about. I'd like you to work through it so you can really solidify it in your mind, what you're counting on for salvation. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is your spirit that convicts men and women of their sin and helps them understand what salvation really is. And I pray that you'd be opening hearts this morning. And Father, those who are joining us by our Facebook page that need to know you as their Savior, I pray they would make that same decision. Because at the end of the day, when everything's said and done, Christmas is about that cross, and our, our choir sang that for us this morning. And just because the cross exists doesn't mean we get to go to heaven. It means we have to make a decision. And I pray that folks would make the decision to trust you as their personal Savior and give up the lie of Satan that I can be good enough to get there. And I ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name, thanking you for this opportunity that we had to look in depth into the word of God, which gives us life. Amen.